In the construction business and can't find what you need, Quality Supply and Tool has served Hoosiers for over a quarter of a century. Tom Hawk is the branch manager of the Indy location on South Harding Street. We've always been big on keeping our shelves fully stocked of inventory of industrial-grade tools, concrete, masonry products, as well as the necessary accessories to help get the job done. You don't have it, you can't sell it. Our experience allows us to help with getting the pros as well as the weekend pro taken care of. Quality Supply and Tool also has locations in Bloomington, Lafayette, and Jeffersonville to help you think outside the box store. Only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson. Brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box. Store on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Another great one outside. This time it's a Thursday. Cars on track tomorrow at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in preparation for the GMR Grand Prix going on the road course at Indianapolis. But that officially means the sound of engines at IMS in the month of May. Jake Quarry along with Mike Thompson, Eddie Garrison here as the on-site engineer. Tonight's program, and I'm excited about it, and it also makes me feel a little bit veteran, admittedly, anytime that you are able to do something that is involving a colleague, and that sounds so strange and yet honoring to talk about our guest, or rather I should say our subject for tonight that Mike Thompson has pulled audio from, and right off the box i want to play this right off the beginning because we're going to have cars on track tomorrow it's the month of may it's beautiful outside this gets you pumped up this gets the blood flowing and the subject tonight is the man that is absolutely the michelangelo behind all of these of the 80s the delta force abc intros and the voice you're going to hear the subject tonight paul page let's go back to begin to the intro of the 1991 indianapolis 500 there were three million paving blocks in 1911. Today, only a yard of brick remains. The two-and-a-half-mile path is surrounded by steel and concrete, silent centuries to the history made here. It is a legacy of speed. Between these walls, the risks are great. Emotions come from both ends of the spectrum. The Indianapolis 500-mile race is quite simply a spectacle, a celebration of technology and humanity. Today, it celebrates the diamond anniversary running. It was no different when the track was first planned. The first 500 was the spectacle of its day. The giant track beckoned the best of the age, and 80,000 fans, many arriving by horse and buggy. Ray Haroon won the first challenge. Since then, the lineage has raced on. Men who share a special look, the brotherhood of the best. Down the years, they have sought a common goal, victory in the Indianapolis 500. In 1925, Pete DiPaolo averaged 100 miles an hour. Today, 220 is the standard. In the 30s, the cars led the technology, cast iron and shaped sheet metal. Today, titanium and carbon fiber define the ultimate racing machine. Space-age electronics now help tame the raging horsepower. has always been a passenger. Like the track and the speed, it is a constant, ever-present. It, too, is a part of the lure. Without that risk, the men are just ordinary. In a flash, a skilled drive transforms to disaster. But man can and does survive the machine. This spring has proven no exception. 
The Face Strike at Random. Rick Mears, one of the best. Mark Disborne, one of the rookies. Or veteran Randy Lewis. Each spent his moment over the edge. But man triumphs, as did Rick, a day later, in a new car to take the pole at over 224 miles an hour. Now the heroes of this age wait. They weigh the odds, consider the risks, and they pray the dream today will be theirs. As much changes over 75 races, much stays the same. Skilled hands still lovingly caress and coax the ultimate performance. 34 years ago, A.J. Foyt was an apprentice. Today, he is a master, starting in the center of the front row. In 61, Tony Benthausen died chasing a victory. Today, his son may fulfill his father's dream. 26 years ago, the rookie stripes came off for Mario. Today, there are four Andretti's. Now, the 500's first African-American and first Japanese will join the line. Jules Gu drank six bottles of champagne on his road to victory. Today, it's a frosty bottle of milk that awaits the eventual winner. That and so much more. The Yard of Bricks have witnessed the high-speed passage of history. In just a few hours, 500 miles from now, a 75th story will have been written. A new likeness will be added to a timeless silver cup. And a new name will sit atop the lineage of the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indianapolis 500. That's how it sounded. The Delta Force team with Paul Page in 1991. Mike Thompson joins me now on Beyond the Bricks here on 93.5, 107.5. The fan, good evening to all of you. Mike, the reality is that Paul Page and we will hear, and I wanted to play that so that people will hang around for when we hear Paul Page give the descriptions, the backgrounds of how those iconic intros came about. But this is a guy that, before working for ABC, was a big part of the radio station, our sister station, essentially, 1070 WIBC back in those days. Yeah, he uh, was basically discovered there uh sid discovered him at wibc and and took him under his wing and and sid became a mentor to paul page and a few years ago i had the opportunity to sit down with with paul and talk to him about a number of topics and one of them i i asked him about you know sid being you know his mentor and how special that was all of us who've gotten to be in this business as long as both of us have have that person that person who opened a door for us someone who helped us along was sid collins that person for you yeah sid collins the original voice of the 500 i was working at wibc and uh, in the news department and uh he was my mentor. Uh, he started several years. Well, he brought me onto the network in 1974. And in 75 and 76, he spent a lot of time with me both uh, here at the radio station, but also at uh, at the track when we were doing reports and qualifying days, uh, grooming me, teaching me how to interview, hopefully how to call a race, what things were important, how you put things together. And so, yeah. He set me up for this, and it was his uh, specific request that I be the su successor. For those people who never got the opportunity, I never had the, the pleasure of meeting him, and I would have loved to have done that. What kind of man was Sid? Sid was an incredible man. He was an absolute perfectionist, uh, which is why he was so successful. There was no detail left undone in Sid's life. Sid was never married. And he was married to the Speedway, married to broadcasting, and he dedicated himself totally to that. And I think that uh, that 
and that dedication almost more than anything else shines through when I think of Sid. Sid Collins, of course, was the founder of the IMS Radio Network and the chief announcer of that network from 1952 until his passing on May 2nd of 1977, a topic in which we discussed last week, of course, on this program. If you're not familiar with Sid Collins, I certainly encourage you to download that podcast here from Beyond the Bricks. But Paul Page was not only handpicked by Paul, or by excuse me, Sid Collins to be Sid's successor, but Paul Page then also had the incredible responsibility of carrying on that torch. Here's how he was introduced to the world as the successor to his mentor in 1977. Sid Collins, the voice of the 500 for almost 30 years, is not here with us today. But I'm sure in spirit he is cheering for all this broadcast crew. He was that type of man. Today in spirit he has the safety of all these fine drivers in mind. He was that type of man. Through the many years here at the 500, Sid was an advisor, brother, father, and counselor for drivers, mechanics, and all of us on the broadcast crew. His advice and counsel will remain with all of us through the years. His ability as a fine broadcaster will remain with you listeners for a long time. He was a perfectionist. He accepted a job to do. The job was well done. May 2nd, Sid Collins passed away. He had contracted ALS, the Lou Gehrig disease. We'll miss Sid Collins. He was our friend, but he was a friend of yours too. Sid was a man of great ability, articulate, and a gentleman through and through. But Sid Collins knew that no man is indispensable and will be cheering all of us on to do a good job like he always wanted us to do. Now, please join all of us in a moment of silence in memory of Sid. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And now, here is Sid's good friend, race driver, broadcaster, and a well-qualified man, and our new voice of the 500, Paul Page. Thank you very much, Jim Shelton, and greetings from Indianapolis. This broadcast crew deeply feels the loss of our leader, Sid Collins, and we are here today going to perform in the way that he would have wanted us to, the way that he taught all of us for many, many years. We hope that you will join with us in dedicating this 61st running of the 500-mile race to Sid Collins. And what I talked to Paul about uh, was when he followed Sid, that call in 1977, if you recall, calling A.J. Foyt across the line, he, he makes that dramatic call, A.J. Foyt at Indianapolis. And he makes a real you know, point to say at Indianapolis. And I wanted to understand you know, what went into that call. So I asked Paul Page, the man himself, what went into calling that finish for A.J. Foyt, that historic win. You've talked, I know, so many times about how much the Indianapolis Motor Speedway means to you. And you can hear it in your voice when A.J. comes across the line for that fourth win. A.J. Foyt at Indianapolis. It wasn't A.J. Foyt wins the race. It was Indianapolis. And you really brought that home that day. Well, it's actually a combination. Uh, Yeah, I was very emotional that it was A.J. And when it hit on me that he was the potential winner and I realized we had a four-time winner coming up here that all was overwhelming me but also something that that Sid taught which is don't go to the obvious 
don't if play your tapes back and if you find out that every year you've said the same thing on a winner then you've done it wrong and so i was very conscious of that and i've been conscious of those kind of lessons ever since so of course in 1977 it was unprecedented so many things going on of course in indianapolis which at that time by the way also keep in mind the country was kind of in a unique situation it was coming off of Vietnam. There was starting to become in the town of Speedway itself, there were some different issues that were taking place just some around the town of Speedway. And yet the beacon of joy for everybody was the Indianapolis 500 mile race. It was the thing that collectively brought everyone together. And then you have that dichotomy of, of course, the loss of Sid Collins and dealing with that. The fact you have a new announcer in Paul Page that's calling the race. And then something unprecedented. There had been three-time winners. There had never before been a four-time winner. When Anthony Joseph Foyt Jr. became the first to do that in 1977, as you just heard him mention, it was Paul Page who was enthusiastic and emotional with the call. And this is how it sounded. A.J. Foyt down the main straightaway. The checkered flag is out. A.J.'s hand in the air. He is the winner. A.J. Foyt at Indianapolis has won his fourth 500-mile race. And, Mike, I can only imagine, and it shows to the true professionalism and talent of Paul Page, who had, of course, as you heard, been a news reporter, had covered some major things in the city of Indianapolis from the news standpoint. This is somebody who at WIBC as a news reporter, had covered Bobby Kennedy's iconic speech over off of Broadway in Indianapolis on the night when Martin Luther King had been assassinated and Bobby Kennedy was breaking that news to the people of Indianapolis, the African-American community. Paul Page was the one who had, of course, been in the middle of that. It was also, of course, Paul Page that was covering along with some of the others, of course, around WIBC, Fred uh, Hickman, of course, being the, the, the main name in that, uh, Fred Heckman, I should say, with the saga and the involvement of Tony Caritzis and the hostage situation in Indianapolis in the late 70s. So Paul Page was already an iconic newsman, but Mike then to be put in the position of, of course, doing something that he had done as a leisure anyway, being involved in the sport of racing, you can only imagine all of the emotions that must have gone into Paul, and you got to talk to him about everything that went into that 1977 call, Mike. Yeah, I, I wanted to know, you know, what was that experience like, all of those different emotions, all of the things that happened in that race and and how he really handled that. And so that was one of the things I really wanted to know a little bit more about. No, it was it. it the story laid out perfectly for me and made made the whole concept because Sid you know, took his life in early May and made the whole whole job, which was a heavy, a heavy, heavy burden at that time, made it so much easier because there was something to talk about. There were beautiful stories to be played. And then at the end of the race, and we were in the old master control tower, and they used to pull the winner right up at the base of that, up on a platform. And so A.J. Foyt's looking right up at me. I'm looking down on one of the greatest drivers that ever lived making history his fourth win the first time anybody won four indy 500s and just i mean the whole thing it, it was it was wonderful it was an incredible experience and a tremendous relief that at least i got that one done who knows what the future is but this one worked out pretty well because they gave me the clay you know one of the things when he was given that clay paul page that i think he has given or should be given a lot of credit 
The Indianapolis 500-mile race became a magical experience to many people based on the radio broadcast. And, of course, that was set up by Sid Collins and the way that they would move the microphone around, essentially, with announcers in turns one, two, three, and four, along the backstretch as well, the pit reporters. But the way that they had done the race, of course, was originally designed for the speeds of 1952, which were not replicated by the speeds of 1977. And Paul Page had probably the unenviable task of taking over a broadcast in the most unique and tragic of circumstances, but also being given an opportunity to put his own mold on that clay. And by that, I mean that the broadcast and the way that it was being done began to change under the vision of Paul Page. Here's Page on how the broadcast of the greatest race in the world was starting to evolve. When you took over in 1977, you changed the way the broadcast was done immediately. Sid, his broadcasts are, this has occurred. Um, right. You immediately changed it to uh, the play-by-play that we know today. Was that more a change of the times, or was it a change of technology, or you just wanted to differentiate yourself from the broadcast from Sid's? No, it, it, uh, it, was, it was both technology and the times. Uh, Sid was working with a system and a process that was developed starting back in 1952. And uh, at one time, you have, to, you have to put this into context, at one time, it was difficult just to get an announcer's cable out from one of the turns to master control. And the technology alone in 1952 and the 50s required contributions from every radio station in town. There was no satellite it was AT&T long lines. It was all manually done, and in fact, they were hooking stations on the morning of the race. Well, now we have satellite. We have this improving technology. We didn't have satellite in 77 when I took over, but we had technology that allowed us to move out of the the system, which was the turn reporter called the producer and said, I have an accident here. The producer, Jack Morrow, then wrote turn one accident on a card and handed it to Sid. Sid would say... We see the yellow flag out, we're going out, and it was all past tense. I instead uh, developed a system where each announcer could talk directly into my right ear, off the air. And by the same token, I had a button that I could push and I could talk to all the announcers at once. And that system put us in real time. And I just wanted to do it because the race was now moving so fast. Uh, There were a number of things that I felt I had to address to bring it into that real-time mode, and I thought it was important to do. When we come back, Paul Page, who is now, as we transition from the late 70s and into the early 80s, the chief announcer of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network, got to call some harrowing events on the two-and-a-half-mile oval at 16th and Georgetown. He was involved in one as well. He also got to call one of the most iconic finishes in the history of motorsports. All of that when we come back to the other side of Beyond the Bricks. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is Beyond the Bricks, brought to you by Quality Supply and Tool. Think outside the box. Store on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
During the Indianapolis Motor Speedway season, we see lots of families here. Hello, I'm Paul Page for Participating Standard Dealers. I enjoy seeing families come back year after year. It's a tradition. As kids grow up, marry, and bring their kids to share Indy's excitement. There's a tradition shared by the Amico and Atlas family of tires, too. It's one of long, dependable service to Americans and their family cars. You and your family deserve the best. That's why Standard Dealers suggest you take a look at their best. The Atlas Steel-Belted Golden Air 2 Radial White Wall, on sale now for as low as $44.95 each, plus federal excise tax for size BR7813. Other sizes available at comparable savings, and prices may vary from dealer to dealer. This offer ends June 23rd. Come into any participating Standard Dealer where you see the All-Pro Savings Tire sign and charge it with your Amoco, Torch Club, or Diners Club credit card. At Standard, you expect more from a leader. Paul Page, the subject of tonight's Beyond the Bricks here. Jake Corey along with Mike Thompson as we take a look back at a brilliant career of one of the most iconic broadcasters who, of course, is still around and has written a book. We'll give you that information later on in the program as well. You might see him at the Speedway here over the next couple of weeks. A reminder, cars on track tomorrow as they get set for the GMR Grand Prix to kind of open up racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway here in the month of May on the road course for Friday and Saturday. We had heard from Paul Page on the broadcast of the May 1977 call of A.J. Foyt's fourth win. It was not long after that when Paul Page himself was involved in some drama. It happened at 4.55 p.m., as a matter of fact, on Thursday, December 1st of 1977. Page was in a helicopter along with the pilot, John Connolly, and a photographer by the name of Edward Moss when trouble began to arise in the air. As a matter of fact, it eventually would come down and crash into, ironically enough, or coincidentally enough, I guess you'd say, the football field at Speedway High School. Here is Paul Page on an oh-so-scary and dangerous moment of 1977. Um, and yeah, then they, uh, the station decided they wanted uh, helicopter traffic reporting. Uh, it was kind of amusing because we didn't have any real traffic problems. But what I was really to be was a foil for the morning guy and the afternoon guy, Gary Todd and Chuck Riley. And so we just had fun with it. But then I became, I, I became the voice and uh, I, but I, that was one day a year. I still needed employment. And I, and I liked WIVC. I was going to leave that. And the year that I, that I took over for Sid, later in, actually in December 1st of that year, the helicopter decided to stop flying. And it didn't do it in that wonderful way where you ought to rotate and glide to the ground. We had a total main rotor failure, and we fell 500 feet and landed on the Speedway High School athletic field biggest touchdown they've ever had i'll say that but uh we were all badly injured and it's funny because i was going to start on vacation the next day and i'd actually mentioned the company there's some things with the helicopter i'd like you to look at so it and a number of other things the opportunity to do the 500 the nbc television network was getting ready to do a lot of racing so they called me so things changed i took a job with channel 13 locally but it was essentially part-time because i had this opportunity to do all these other network things and finally the network just took over and that's all i did Page and Connolly were transported to Methodist Hospital with 
leg and back injuries. In Paul Page's case, it turned out to be, I believe, a compound fracture in the lower ankle. Moss was taken to Wishard Hospital. Nonetheless, Mike, the reality is, and I think a lot of people may not realize this, Paul Page's situation, he was fortunate in the grand scheme of things. Mike, you know, you worked in television in the state of Ohio and around in different ways and capacities. There are a lot of television stations where if they ask you to use a helicopter, whether it be for traffic or for transportation and sporting events, oftentimes the reporter absolutely has the right of refusal on that. And unfortunately, it's because of incidents like that. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I've worked at a number of different stations where we had a helicopter, especially in Florida. Uh, I worked at West Palm Beach at a station there. And and yeah, you had the right. In fact, they actually asked me to go on the helicopter one time for a high school football night. And I told them absolutely not. So you had the right to say no anytime you wanted to. Uh, Paul Page was, of course, a part of some iconic victories at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He obviously was on the call when Al Unser won in 1978. He was there when Rick Mears won his first race in 1979, when Johnny Rutherford won his third race in 1980, and then, of course, the epic battle, the controversy, Bobby Unser, Mario Andretti, 1981. But perhaps no race that Paul Page called will ever be remembered or outdistanced for any broadcaster. That and the legacy of the 1982 finish. Gordon Johncock, the upstart, as I had mentioned, youngster Rick Mears, who was closing nearly, seemingly, with every single lap, another second off a 10-second lead. Then nine laps to go nine seconds. Eight laps to go eight seconds. Surely seemed that way. And it came down to what might be the finest moment in the history of the IMS radio network. Paul Page in the 1982 finish of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. The storytelling that you learned here at WIBC really came to the forefront in 82 with that dramatic Rick reeling in Gordy and the theater that you and the rest of the crew. I mean, that's how proud are you of of the crew on those last few laps? Because, I mean, you guys nailed it. As a 12-year-old kid, first of all, I can tell you right now, I was sitting there going, and and an unabashed Rick Mears fan saying, (laughs) well, there's no way Rick won't win this race. He'll come on. He'll win this race. You know, and then you say, you know, when when you say that Gordy wins, I'm wait a minute, man, Paul Page can't be wrong. So what, what? I was just stunned, but it was just, when you go back and listen to it, it's just so good. I'm glad you mentioned the team in that, because radio at that level is very much a team. And we realized as they came off of their last stops, we started doing the math on how much Rick was closing, and we thought... Wow, we get to the white flag, those two mathematically are going to be side by side. So on this private intercom, I said, guys, let's let's play this and we'll play. I mean, we normally would play the the leaders, but we might go a little bit deeper and try to cover down through five going to the checkered flag. And we stayed with that and we were excited about it. I always believe that the announcers need to be guys with passion. Those guys certainly were. And the passion came through, and the the script was there, and we just played a part. The 1982 call, as I had mentioned, and there are other years that would probably be in the same category. 1992 absolutely comes to mind. But the 1982, Paul Page as the chief announcer, the lineup as they moved around, turn one was Ron Carroll, turn two was Doug Zink. 
Then as they worked their way coming off of turn number two, Howdy Bell was in the backstretch in 1982. Turn three, the voice that you would hear in turn three is that of Larry Henry. And then in turn number four, and what I believe, and I'll explain, is the most underrated call in the history of that network, Bob Jenkins in turn number four. This is how it sounded at the end of the 1982 Indianapolis 500-mile race. Looks like the start of this race. Jackcock, then Mears, they're in turn two. Now Gordy pulls away a little bit as Mears gets a little squirrely in turn number two. They're on the back stretch. It's still Gordon Jackcock. Mears is trying, but he's about ten car legs behind as they streak down this five-eighths of a mile back stretch to turn three. Less than half a lap ago. Gordy Jackcock by five car legs over Rick Mears. They're in the north short shoot. Here they come. This is the final quarter lap. Jackcock maintains the lead. The voice of the 500, Paul Page. And you should see the celebration. That was the call from Paul Page and the rest of the IMS Radio Network crew. It has always been my belief that perhaps the best call in the history of that event and that network, simply my own opinion, is that in terms of a single moment of Bob Jenkins in the final corner of that race and throwing it to Paul Page because Jenkins did what is virtually impossible. And I can tell you as somebody who has had the pleasure of and the honor of calling turns of the Indianapolis 500-mile race, there is an electricity to it, there is a drama to it, and with that comes an excitement that causes you and your voice and your energy to become like a raging bronco inside of just a small cage. And you want to make sure that your voice does not exceed it and buck over to the point of understanding in what is arguably the most exciting final corner in that event. There are others that have come to mind since, of course. Bob Jenkins to control his voice, but to ask the question to Paul Page that every single person in that venue and every person listening around the world was thinking, simply asking, Paul Page, who's going to win it? is an iconic call, and then Paul Page with the mastery at the end of not only calling the winner in immediacy and doing it before the era of computers and telemetry, but to also be able to come up with the number that he himself has admitted since when he said less than a tenth of a second. He was guesstimating a little bit, but guess what? Paul Page was correct. The Delta Force that we played off the top, how'd those come about? That answer's next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Jake Query, 
Mike Thompson, Eddie Garrison, Sam Fritz and Todd Meyer, Joe Koppel as well have their parts in this program. Beyond the Bricks on 93.5-1075, The Fan. It is always so much fun to take a look back at all of the storylines that contribute. Mike, the reality is the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is like the world's greatest dessert buffet and every single driver, official, fan, yellow shirt, broadcaster, they're all their own little spice or sugar or dessert or topping that goes into it to all collectively come together for something that is just oh so cool. Oh, definitely. I would agree with that 100%. I mean, everyone plays a part. Um, The people that are yellow shirts there are people that are uh, officials and we've talked about some of the we're going to talk about some of those behind the scenes people Uh, a lot of different interesting stories come out of there mike when it comes to the indianapolis 500 mile race you're like me and the fact that we grew up in the same era and for me and the reason why somebody said to me why do you guys play the delta force music theme when this is a radio program but that was the television music and i think it's because that music for so many people became synonymous, even though it was for a television show, with the Indianapolis 500-mile race. And that is largely because of the fact that Paul Page would put together those intros like we played for everybody right off the top in 1991 that were so incredibly memorable and iconic. And you got a chance to talk to Paul about everything that went into what we would assume was very elaborate, but maybe wasn't so much so, right? One of the things I really wanted to talk to him about was the Delta Force because I, I had never heard him talk about that topic. I I just was fascinated to know how did that come about? You know, why did you pick the Delta Force music? What went into those those opens that have become so iconic? So when I had the chance to sit down with him, I just really wanted to get a, a question in about the Delta Force. But one other thing I can tell you right away that immediately comes up when we talk about your television career, the Delta Force intros. Mm. People love the Delta. I mean, it's so ingrained. Talk about how that you really become synonymous. Yeah, it it, it kind of surprised me when I realized that it was happening. Um, When I first went over to ABC, our director was a guy named Don Olmeyer, who had been my executive producer at NBC. Um, But he was a motor racing nut. And the process for putting together what we call the teases, the opening of the show, which is to grab you, to grab that audience that might be changing the channel. You've got to give them something to, to a reason to stay around. And so in those days, the those teases were done in, in Don Olmeyer's concept of taking the absolute best video that you have and putting them together and having maybe a loose reason as why they're together. And then he might describe that loose reason to me. You know, this is Mario and then Mario here and then his son. I don't know why, but they're good shots. And then he'd hand it to me and I'd take, you know, usually about 48 hours to come up with a narrative to match it. And then we'd go in. We did this the week of the race right out at the track. Now they're done big production values and and shot like movies. But um, and he. The first year we used it, we had Delta Force, but we also put um, some other music in there and and some sound bites, and we didn't like that. So the next year we liked the song, so we put it together. And wow, uh, it was so fun to write to. The video was so perfect. And you were writing about a two-minute essay, really, is what you were writing. And I, I never realized, actually, until about five or six years ago when somebody said, hey, I saw your stuff on YouTube. I'm like, 
What are you talking about? So, oh, there's a there's a whole cult going out there for Delta Force, and so of all of them you did. I mean, there there are there are so many that are so that that were so on point. But 1992 seems to be the one that just grabbed everybody because the writing was just everything that encompasses the Indianapolis 500 is in mm-hmm. that. If you you had somebody sitting there and, and they didn't know anything about the Indianapolis 500 and you showed them the 1992 Delta Force intro, they'd get it immediately. Well, then we did our job because that certainly was its intent and it was to do it in a visual way that that would grab you and it was way that's a lot of history. That's some neat stuff. I'm going to watch that. So, yeah, but and they were just so fun to write, and we always uh, we always did them privately. It was just the the audio guys, the director, and and myself, and uh, we. It, it was also in a day when you pretty well had to read that straight through. You had to get all the timings right and everything. And you didn't have the. It was it was in the days before this the nonlinear stuff, where you could just edit and move things. I mean, you couldn't do that then. So you had to roll right through that and get it right. And you know, usually it took three takes. Uh, one of them we actually took the first take. Uh, but I, I never particularly rehearsed them. I'd rehearse, I'd, I'd read lines to see if they'd fit together aloud, but never really, because t- you couldn't, until you had the video, and you couldn't have the video until you had the big remote truck. And so it, it, came to way, it came together that way. Mike, obviously you brought up the 1992 Delta Force intro, we, which we'll play in a second here. The 1991 I loved as well, probably because it was the 75th running and because that was my senior year of high school, which is like always the pinnacle, right, in terms of it. But to your point and to what Paul Page was saying there, uh, memorable to absolutely say the least. I think that there's several that you can count as really memorable. The other one I think that's super memorable is the year that they had all the winners, the living winners at the time. Uh, they all got to say something, you know. Some of them got an actual line. Some of them just said their name. And they actually flew Montoya and Jack Villeneuve in. They were driving Formula One at the time. So it was really a special open. I think that one really captured things really well as well. So in 1992, we know that it was the 10-year anniversary of that epic finish that you heard between Gordon Johncock and Rick Mears. We know that the 1992 race had itself an unbelievable finish, surpassing, as a matter of fact, the 10-year earlier mark as the closest finish in history between Alan Jr. and Scott Goodyear. We remember how the race finished. This is how, with Delta Force, the race broadcast began. Paul Page, ABC, Delta Force, 1992. A year's waiting is about to come to an end. The two and a half miles back. Indianapolis is about speed. The quickest driver, the ultimate lap. No race is faster, no race is closer or more difficult, but Indy is much more. The 500-mile race is a celebration, a spectacle, the largest single gathering of people for a sporting event. Indianapolis is dangerous. Its narrow road and concrete walls tear at man and machine. A skillful drive can turn to disaster without warning. But the quickest times are bound just inches from the walls. It is there the poles must ride. Searching for the fastest lap, even the bravest are not without fear. There's not been a race I have not been in that at one time or another I hadn't scared myself. 
And I'm one of the few that admit it. I know you got a bunch of brave heroes out there who say they're not scared of nothing. All I can say, they've never run fast enough or they've never been hurt. To drive Indy requires skill, to race at the front, dedication, to win courage. A champion must push beyond fear. The four corners at Indianapolis draw out a special significance. You know, there, there comes a time in a race where money doesn't matter, living doesn't matter, winning is the only thing that matters. And so, when you go into those corners, it's winning that tells all. This past month at Indianapolis has challenged the elite, even the best. Like four-time champion Rick Mears came face-to-face -face with his own frailty. Rick would walk away. Three-time world champion Nelson Piquet barely escaped. But running on and over the edge is the only way to succeed, the only path to victory in the Indianapolis 500-mile race. This place, more than any other, will probably push it to the limit, to the very limit, because there's so much at stake. And there comes a time when you just say, man, you've got to go for it. The time is now. 33 of the fastest have accepted the challenge and are ready for racing's ultimate test. 500 miles on a Sunday afternoon in Indiana. Where will the road take them? Too close to the walls? Or to Victory Lane with its fame and fortune? Indy is a human struggle against all odds. It brings pain and anguish, while at the same time, incomparable reward. In its 81-year history, 589 drivers have started the run. But the Indianapolis 500 has only permitted 54 to make the final turn into victory lane. As this day begins, the focus is 200 laps away. An antique cup waits for the new champion. Whose likeness will be molded in silver to join the historic line? The 500 miles lie ahead. Live. Paul Page, the voice you heard there. You also heard from A.J. Foyt, Alan Sir Jr., Mario Andretti. Pretty stout list there. And the Delta Force themes. It has been a pleasure over the course of the last handful of years, from a personal note, to get to know Paul Page and also to work alongside Paul Page. Mike, it has always been, for me, uh, a distinct honor to be able to say that I've worked on a radio network and taken a toss, as we say, within the industry from Paul Page, from Mark Janes, from Mike King, from Bob Jenkins, from Jerry Baker as well, who are some of the most iconic voices that you have heard around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But Paul Page certainly is among perhaps the most so because of the versatility with which he spread the word of the events of 16th and Georgetown. Yeah, I think uh, what was said earlier by Paul is exactly right. The the, the discussion about the team, um, you know, you are you're such a big part of the team, and you know this better than anybody. Certainly better than I do because I've never been on the team. But but you can't do what they did in 1982 or 1992 without a, a great team like you guys have. Uh, so that has to be a great honor and a great thrill for you. It is. It is also a thrill each night to be able to do this with you, Mike. So we will do it again tomorrow night. Don't forget, cars on track tomorrow. And then we'll talk car owners in the Indianapolis 500 history tomorrow night at 8 o'clock on Beyond the Bricks.